Welcome to Elevate Louisiana's Engage Videocast. Elevate Louisiana was founded in 2020 to empower women leaders throughout Louisiana by connecting and educating them on the challenges impacting our state with data-driven nonpartisan solutions to make a better future for Louisiana. Hello, I'm your host, Julie Stokes. Today's program will focus on the restoration of Louisiana's coastline. Our guest joining us today is Chip Klein, who's the chairman of the Louisiana Coastal Protection and Restoration Authority Board, better known as CPRA. Um, he's also the director of coastal activities for the state of Louisiana, and he's been so since 2018. Um, he oversees policy initiatives related to Louisiana's coastal program and manages the day-to-day -day operations of the governor's office in coastal activities. Um, in this position, he's responsible for integrating the functions of all state agencies as they relate to coastal protection and has been integral in advancing the objectives of the state's coastal master plan in Louisiana and in Washington, D.C. He works closely alongside Louisiana's congressional delegation and the Louisiana legislature to advance policies supportive of Louisiana's coast, um, successfully negotiating policy in initiatives related to permits for hurricane protection and coastal restoration projects, issues regarding engineering, design, implementation of mid-basin sediment diversions, um, strategy and negotiations related to the Restore Act, and efforts to increase federal revenues coming to the Louisiana through the Gulf of Mexico Energy Security Act, or GOMESA. Um, and he successfully has um, been part of the successful passage of CPRA's master and annual plans and other legislation in the legislature. Um, we are so lucky to have you here today, Chip, and um, we're just all excited to hear your presentation today. Um, we had a little bit of networking before this and we're able to talk about you know, what Louisiana's coastline means to all of us, which, I mean, nobody can underestimate or undersell. So you can feel free to go ahead and start with your presentation, and then we can talk a little bit as you go. Um, one other note is that since this is being recorded not only as a video cast, but also a podcast, we just want to make sure that the information is digestible with or without the slides. And um, so, all right, and let's go ahead and take a look. Sure. Well, thank you um, very much, Julie. Um, it's a pleasure to be with you and your group today. And as we say here in the Coastal Program, anytime there are two or more gathered that want to talk about Coastal Louisiana, we're, we're going to show up. So I'm um, excited to be here. Uh, I do have some slides, uh, Julie, that I would like to um, roll through. So I'm just going to try to share my screen here. And if you, if you guys can't see it, please, um, please let me know. Nope, it worked. Okay. So we start every pre presentation we do um, with, with this slide. And the fact is, is that the state of Louisiana since the 1930s has lost approximately 2,000 square miles of land. 2,000 square miles of land is equivalent to the size of the state of Delaware, uh, to kind of put that into perspective for you. But if you kind of put that in more of a local perspective, 2,000 square miles of land is the equivalent of losing the parishes of St. Charles, St. John, St. James, Ascension, East Baton Rouge, and East Feliciana parishes. And if we do nothing over the next 50 years, if we do not implement a single coastal restoration or hurricane protection project, we stand to lose an additional 
4,200 square miles of land. 4,200 square miles of land is the equivalent of losing Point Capee, St. Helena, Washington, Tangibahoe, Livingston, and West Baton Rouge parishes. So that is a slide, the, this slide right here is the slide that really, I think, motivates us the most here in the Coastal Program. It's a slide that certainly keeps me up at night, but it's also a slide that, that makes us, uh, reminds us as to why we fight so hard to restore and protect coastal Louisiana. So while we spend a lot of time here in the Coastal Program talking about land loss, what, what does land loss mean for the people that call South Louisiana home? And so when the land continues to disappear, the very land that we live on, that we work on, that we raise our families, uh, where we recreate, that land disappearance uh, makes us more vulnerable to storms and hurricanes. And so this is a model that, is, that we run in the coastal program every time we update the master plan. And it models a 100 year level of storm. A 100 year storm means it has one in 100% chance, one in 100, chance of happening in any given year. A hundred year storm is, a, is approximately the size of, of Hurricane Katrina. Um, and if we don't implement any coastal restoration or hurricane protection projects, this is what storm surge depths will be on a hundred year storm. So if you look at um, the southern perimeter of our state, the areas that are reflected in purple there, over 15 feet of surge from Cameron Parish all the way over through South Central Louisiana, Vermilion, Terrebonne, Lafourche, into Plaquemines and St. Bernard parishes. Uh, even if you look at the red, 13 to 15 feet, think about that for a second, 15 feet of water uh, that has pretty much engulfed the entire portion of Cameron Parish, the overwhelming majority of Terrebonne and Lafourche parishes. So we're not just talking about coastal habitat or conservation type projects. These, this land loss is, is causing us, our livelihoods uh, to be at risk, our businesses to be at risk, our way of life, our cultural heritage are all susceptible and could be ruined um, if we don't take serious action uh, over the next 50 years to restore and protect our coast. Now, a lot of people who, who live in coastal Louisiana and across the Gulf Coast really don't appreciate just how important coastal Louisiana is to our state, to the entire Gulf Coast, and to the country as a whole. Louisiana's coast um, produces about 18 to 20 percent of the nation's oil and gas every year. 90 percent of the deep water oil and gas that is produced in the Gulf of Mexico is serviced out of Port Fouchon. 90 percent of the nation's grain moves up and down the Mississippi River on an annual basis. Our commercial, our recreational seafood, our fisheries rank one to two nationally, uh, depending on what year you're looking at. Five of the top 15 largest ports anywhere in the country are located in coastal Louisiana. 70% uh, of the nation's oil and gas that flows through the Gulf of Mexico, 70% of that oil and gas flows through the Louisiana offshore oil port, which helps transport that material into refineries across the Gulf Coast into other parts of the country. Um, so when we're talking about coastal restoration, we're talking about susceptibility of hurricanes, but we're also preserving, sustaining a coast that literally fuels and feeds this nation every year. 
And so the agency uh, that I work within, that I have the um, very fortunate to chair the board of, is the Coastal Protection and Restoration Authority. Uh, we were formed after Hurricane Katrina and Rita, the 2005 storms that devastated uh, Southeast and Southwest Louisiana. And essentially what happened was this. Prior to Hurricane Katrina, you had the Coastal Restoration Arm that was housed in the Department of Natural Resources. You had the Hurricane Protection Arm, which was housed in the Department of Transportation and Development. Two segregated issues. Um, I think if there's one thing that we learned from Hurricane Katrina, that the two are one issue, that hurricane protection and coastal restoration are one and the same. And so there was a series of congressional oversight hearings that were held in Washington, D.C. after Hurricane Katrina, and they essentially told the state of Louisiana, if you want us to invest in the massive hurricane protection system that is now protecting the greater New Orleans area, that $14 billion system that was built after Hurricane Katrina, the federal government told Louisiana, you've got to change your ways. You've got to get serious about hurricane protection and coastal restoration in a way that you aren't right now. And as a result of that guidance and, and that mandate that came out of Congress, the Louisiana legislature um, responded um, and they created the Coastal Protection Restoration Authority. They took coastal restoration out of DNR, hurricane protection out of DOTD, put it under one agency. Um, and we as CPRA are the single state entity with authority to articulate a clear statement of priorities to achieve comprehensive coastal protection for Louisiana. Our single mandate is simple, is to develop, implement, and enforce a comprehensive coastal protection and restoration um, master plan. The first master plan was, was done in 2007 under Governor Blanco. If you were to put a price tag on the 2007 Coastal Master Plan, you would be looking somewhere in the neighborhood of $200 billion. It was largely a plan that just identified concepts that needed to be implemented across coastal Louisiana to restore and protect our coast. The plan is uh, required by law to be updated every five years. So in 2012, under Governor Jindal, the second iteration of the master plan was approved by the Louisiana State Legislature. Um, however, in 2012, the state of Louisiana took a, took a step back. We had five years of the CPRA being in existence. We had five years of looking at the 2007 master plan. And under the leadership of, of now Congressman Graves, who was then Chairman Graves of the CPRA board, we kind of took a step back and said, how much money do we realistically think we can obtain over a 50 year period? Um, and the answer was $50 billion. And under the 2012 plan was the first time that you saw that 50 year, $50 billion plan that actually identified specific projects, not just concepts, but specific projects um, that would protect people, businesses, livelihoods, and that would restore our coast from the various causes of land loss across South Louisiana. When we talk about land loss, the various causes of it, it's, it's not just one single factor, it's actually a variety of factors. The greatest cause of land loss across South Louisiana was actually the levying of the Mississippi River after the flood of 1927. Um, before 1927, if you look at the path that the Mississippi River took, it was almost like it was a swinging pendulum. Over thousands of years, the Mississippi River literally built the land that we stand on today in the state of Louisiana. When that levee was, uh, excuse me, when the river was levied, 
uh, it cut off that sediment flow. It cut off that freshwater supply that actually over thousands of years in that sediment deposit that built this land we stand on actually channels it into its current course out of the Gulf of Mexico where if you look at some of the high water events that have happened over the last several years and you look at Google Earth images, the amount of sediment that is in that river that is dumped off of the outer continental shelf, it can oftentimes frustrate us. It's a concept that I'm gonna talk a little bit about where we're trying to mimic or recreate the natural process that literally built the land that we stand on today. Um, other factors that cause land loss here in Louisiana, obviously storms. Anytime we have a, a, a massive hurricane that brings on strong storm surge, that deteriorates our wetlands. Subsidence, where our land is sinking beneath us. Um, sea level rise. When you mentioned sea level rise, sometimes that can cause, bring some political uh, divisiveness, if you will. But if you live and work in South Louisiana and you're looking at the Gulf of Mexico, you cannot deny that that Gulf of Mexico continues to rise. So we can stand here all day and talk about whether it's man-made or it's a natural cycle of the earth, what have you. The fact is, is that water is rising in South Louisiana and the Gulf of Mexico continues to encroach upon our people uh, and communities where people um, live and work. And obviously the BP oil spill back in 2010, 2011, uh, one of the, the worst uh, natural and man-made disasters uh, in the entire world. Um, that did extensive damage to our wetlands. Uh, that oiling further exacerbated many of the land loss um, issues that we have here uh, in South Louisiana. But the good news is um, that we have a master plan. I think that we as a, the state of Louisiana are really a leader when it comes to this issue. People, from, and I'm not exaggerating when I say this, people from around the country, organizations literally from around the globe come here to Baton Rouge, Louisiana, to learn about how we are approaching this issue. Um, and it's something that we really take a lot of pride in. Um, if you look at, I mentioned the 2007 master plan, I mentioned the 2012 master plan. The last um, master plan was updated in 2017 under Governor John Bell Edwards. In its most basic um, form, the 2017 master plan calls for 124 coastal restoration and hurricane protection projects. If fully implemented, uh, it will create over 800 square miles of land and it will reduce annual flood damages by $150 billion per year by year 50. Uh, and so when we talk about the types of projects that are included in the coastal master plan, uh, there are really two, two um, sections, if you will, two portfolios of projects. The hurricane protection, which is more formally called uh, risk reduction. When we're talking about risk reduction projects, we're talking about structural protection, levees, floodgates, surge barriers, um, pump stations, little actual infrastructure that is keeping water out of people's homes. We're also talking about non-structural. When we talk about non-structural, we're talking about home elevations, um, raising businesses, making them more resilient. Uh, flood proofing those things. Um, in a lot of areas across our coast, it doesn't make sense to build these massive hurricane protection systems. So we work with the local municipalities and local parishes and give them grant funding to raise their homes. On the restoration side of the shop, um, obviously the, the largest um, portion of the restoration portfolio is marsh creation projects, where we are dredging sediment either out of the Mississippi or Chapalaya rivers or even offshore, sometimes as far as 30 miles offshore, depending on where the best sediment source that we can identify is, pumping that sediment and creating that, that new land or that land that has disappeared 
bringing that, that land, that coastal habitat back to life in our estuaries, in our coastal ecosystems. Um, ridge restoration, where we're building ridges kind of within those marshes to help knock down that storm surge. Hydrologic restoration, barrier island restoration, if you pay attention to the coastal program, across the most southern perimeter of our state. Um, our first line of defense in Louisiana are those barrier islands. That is the first speed bump that a storm surge hit as a storm surge comes online. And certainly hundreds of millions of dollars have been spent on restoring those barrier islands uh, to give our, our, our coast what we call multiple lines of defense. And that's an important concept within the Coastal Master Plan. When we're talking about multiple lines of defense, it all starts with our barrier islands. Second line of defense is our coastal estuaries, our natural buffer. When we're creating land, you are, you are protecting communities. That, when it hits that land, that marshland, it knocks down that storm surge, which helps take the pressure off of our inland hurricane protection systems, our, levy, our levees, our flood sta uh, pump stations, floodgates, and things like that. So when we're talking about multiple lines of defense, those are the multiple strategy lines, if you will, that we're talking about that protects uh, the people who live in South Louisiana. The master plan, um, it's very important for the public to know, and I think we spent a lot of time and effort in recent years. This isn't a plan that just sits on a shelf in, in Baton Rouge. This is a plan that we are actively implementing. Since 2007, the coastal program has secured over $20 billion to implement hurricane protection and coastal restoration projects in all 20 coastal parishes within the coastal zone. We have dredged or utilized over 150 million cubic yards of material, which has created close to 50,000 acres of new land. We have built or improved over 300 miles of levees. Think about that for a second. 300 miles of new levees that are protecting people uh, and businesses across South Louisiana. And then 60 miles of barrier islands that I've just mentioned, our first line of defense um, in coastal Louisiana have been restored or rebuilt uh, over the last several years. If you listen to Governor John Bell Edwards' inaugural address, uh, his second inaugural address in, in January of 2020, if I got that year right, uh, he, he made note of a very impressive statistic that we are very proud of here in the Coastal Program. And over the next four years, the projects that we will break ground on in South Louisiana will actually build more land than we expect to lose. And that is the first time that we can say that in the Coastal Program going back to the 1930s. And so if you look at some of the projects that we're talking about, we're not just talking about historically the projects that we've implemented have been somewhere in the neighborhood of about 20 to 40 million dollars. We're talking about projects that with a price tag of hundreds of millions of dollars. Some of the um, sediment diversion projects that I'm going to talk about here in just a minute are actually the Mid-Barataria Sediment Diversion, which is on the west bank of Plaquemines Parish, where we're reconnecting the Mississippi River to its deltaic plain, to its marshes, to where we can get that sediment load into our marshes, has a price tag of $1.3 billion. So these are projects that have literally been envisioned for years. We now have the funding, we now have the political will um, to implement. And so these are without a doubt game-changing projects um, for our coast. I think something that has um, caught a lot of people, uh, I guess I could say off guard, but I think people have been pleasantly surprised, particularly in the private sector, um, about the economic, the positive economic impact that coastal restoration and hurricane protection projects have on South Louisiana's economy and on local businesses 
uh, and local firms that are, that are working here. Just for example, the Mid-Breton and Mid-Barrett area sediment diversions, again, those are the two projects where we're trying to redivert the Mississippi River into uh, its coastal marshes. These are controlled structures. We're not just punching a hole and letting the river run wild and flooding people out. We're actually, it's a controlled structure where we can manage the flow, how much water and sediment is going in there at a given time. Just by implementing those two projects, this is a study that was done by Dr. Lauren Scott, a well-renowned economist here in South Louisiana. $1.85 billion expended on the construction of those two projects over the next several years will increase sales in the greater New Orleans area by $3.1 billion, um, $809 million in increased household earnings, and will create approximately 2,200 new jobs in Southeast Louisiana. One of the things that I think we have got to get right here in the coastal program when you're talking about implementing these size projects is ensuring that Louisiana jobs um, are created, number one, but Louisiana workers, Louisiana businesses, and Louisiana firms are getting this work. Um, so we recently just signed an MOU with the Louisiana Workforce Commission. Uh, they are in the process of developing job training programs so where we can train Louisiana workers uh, for jobs that are necessary to implement these types of projects. We have just partnered with uh, Nichols State University to establish a coastal technical and assistance center where businesses and firms who are looking to get into this line of work can actually go and learn how um, our bid process works, how our solicitation projects work, how they can be notified in the event that we're going out for bid for a, either a marsh creation project, uh, a levee construction project, a levee lift. These are basic construction jobs, dump trucks, excavators, things like that. But they're also, some of these projects require a certain level of expertise, certain speci specialty of engineering and design um, capabilities and things like that. So having, working with other state agencies, Louisiana universities to educate the workforce on how they can get involved in this thing is something that we're gonna be focused on over the next um, several years. I could get a little controversial here. I'm gonna to try to strike the right balance. We always try to strike the right balance in, in the coastal program. Um, as I mentioned at the beginning of the slide uh, presentation is one of the drivers of land loss here is sea level rise. And again, we cannot deny the fact that the Gulf of Mexico is rising. And for far too long, whether, whatever your, your opinion, is about, opinion is about climate change, for far too long, this state has been reacting to the effects of climate change. We've been reacting to a disappearing coast, the fact that our, the Gulf of Mexico continues to encroach upon our communities. Uh, and so earlier last year, um, Governor John Bell Edwards stood up a climate initiatives task force, which aims to reduce carbon emissions um, every year by 20, until 2050, where we actually seek to become net carbon neutral. What I think a lot of people don't realize in Louisiana is that goal of net carbon neutrality by 2050 is actually in line with the goals that are with Shell, with Dow Chemical, BP, major oil and gas companies that operate here in Louisiana have that same goal. Um, but the approach that we're taking here in Louisiana is bringing oil and gas to the table. Oil and gas is a huge economic driver in South Louisiana. It employs thousands, tens of thousands of workers in South Louisiana. So we're working with them collaboratively, bringing them to the table to where we can learn how they are 
capturing carbon and capturing their emissions, what's not being emitted into the atmosphere, which I think, um, and this is where I think I might get a little controversial, is completely opposite to, from the policies and the executive orders that are coming out of Washington, D.C. right now. If you see that the executive orders that President Biden has issued actually calls, calls for a, a ban on new lease sales and new permits for oil and gas exploration in the Gulf of Mexico. Our funding that comes to the coastal program every year, the only recurring source of revenue that comes to the coastal program is from offshore oil and gas production in federal waters. Last year, we received a check from the federal government for $140 million. We cash flow our entire operation, all of our projects within the coastal master plan with those revenues. The only recurring source of dollars that come to the coastal program from the state of Louisiana is derived from oil and gas production on state lands and state water bottoms. So on both sides, recurring sources of revenue, both from state and federal government, come from oil and gas production. And that doesn't take into account the billions of dollars, literally the $8.6 billion that's going to be coming to the state of Louisiana over the next 15 years from the BP oil spill settlement. So if you look at our entire funding portfolio, if you will, and you take into account the BP oil spill, which again, I, 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 sometimes I hesitate to do this because the BP oil spill caused extensive damage. It was the funding that's coming from the BP oil spill settlement is going to address specific injuries. Look, over 80% of our funding here in the coastal program comes from oil and gas. And so we have to strike the right balance with oil and gas in industry um, in addressing the issues that we face across coastal Louisiana. On the left-hand side of your screen, you'll see mitigate and adapt. Um, and so one of the things that we're, we're going to be working on here over the next, um, in the second term of, of the Edwards administration, is making sure that other state agencies, that their policies, procedures, regulations are actually in line with the data and the information that's included in the Coastal Master Plan. So for example, if DOTD under the direction of uh, Sean Wilson goes out and wants to build a bridge in South Louisiana, is he taking into account subsidence rates? Is he taking into account sea level rise rates in that particular area? Um, and making sure that we're, we're firing on all cylinders as a, state, as a state government. Another example would be uh, wildlife and fisheries. Is, is Secretary Monase issuing oyster leases in Barataria Basin where we're gonna be implementing a coastal restoration project within the next several months? So making sure that we are in sync, that we are aligned, um, and that we are all communicating and collaborating in a productive way in Louisiana is making sure I think that's gonna really allow us to be successful. There are other similar funding programs or, or initiatives that are underway here in Louisiana. The Louisiana Watershed Initiative was, was stood up under Governor Edwards as a result of the 2016 floods. $1.2 billion uh, is gonna be spent in this state looking at how we manage water. And that includes drainage, um, storm surge, floodwaters, backwater flooding, how we manage watersheds here in the state of Louisiana was obviously a complementary issue to what we're doing here uh, in the coastal program for restoration and protection projects. Um, and so all of those initiatives going, in, going forward, the next master plan will be developed in 2023. All of those initiatives, all of those synergies that are realized with other state agencies will be baked in to a coastal master plan to ensure that we're fulfilling our, our goals and objectives of having one single state entity whose sole purpose is the, the overall protection, restoration, and resilience of South Louisiana. 
And so I will uh, leave it there, Julie. I'll be happy to take any questions uh, that you guys have, but I hope that was uh, informative and gives you a little bit of an idea of some of the things we're working on here at CPRA. Yeah, well, um, you know, we, we will switch in a moment to Q&A with our audience, but um, before we move over there, um, just for the people that are going to be listening via podcasts and watching via um, videocast, I want to talk just a little bit about one, there's a few issues that I really um, got involved with uh, when I was in the legislature, and one of them is a little known thing that people might think of, not think of very much, but the fact that Louisiana is ground zero for pipelines in the United States. Um, we've got more, more linear miles of pipelines than anywhere in the United States, as far as I understand, and they all intersect right here. Um, between our land sinking, sediment not being deposited anymore, and water levels rising, um, a lot of our pipelines are, you know, not under the ground anymore. There was a requirement, I believe, that they be buried three or five feet under the bottom of the water. And now there's quite a number of them that are um, in the water so that if uh, a fishing vessel or, you know, somebody working on something with an oil project, you know, um, it, it's, it's a more dangerous that they could be encountered by a boat and, sure. and, and struck. So what it goes on within CPRA to help mitigate this risk? Well, the majority of that work, Julie, is done under the Department of Natural Resources. I mean, so they are the permitting agency for some of those things. They are monitoring to make sure that there's no damage to those pipelines, that there's no, that the pipelines don't face unnecessary vulnerability or put at additional risk for a deteriorating coast. Uh, obviously, there's a lot of comp uh, collaboration that takes place between DNR and CPRA, um, but also with, with Department of Environmental Quality. And so there have been projects that have taken place as a result of the BP oil spill funding. If you look at some of the projects that some of the federal agencies were, were funding, we're actually um, coming up with concepts to protect those very pipelines that are running through marshes. I was just in the Atchafalaya Basin not too long ago. Ago, and I can't tell you how many times we ran across a pipeline that was not marked. That we didn't even know it was there. And if you had a big enough boat, you could actually strike that pipeline. Um, I'm not sure if the pipeline was active or not, but you're talking about you would have extensive damage and quite the, quite the disaster on your hand if that thing were to open up and start spewing material or what have you. So that's something that we're working with not only other state agencies on, but federal agencies on, are actually looking at how you can protect uh, those existing pipelines, even backfilling some of those canals, those canals that were excavated, there's actually pipelines that are at the bottom of those canals, and that's how that material, that oil, gets to the inland refineries um, to ensure that, well, we can still allow co commerce to flow, navigation to flow, but they were either marking those pipelines uh, to make people aware of them, but then also maybe even putting additional settlement sand or material to cover them so that they're not exposed to environmental factors and even man-made factors. Sure, and uh, you know another question um, about uh, you. You refer to year fifty. Is year fifty twenty fifty, or is year fifty some other year? Like what year? So it was fifty. It was fifty years from uh, from two thousand seven. So it's it's always going back to the. Well, I guess it was since two thousand twelve. Excuse me. Since two thousand twelve was the first time we put the the fifty year mark on on the on the coastal master plan. 
Yeah, I, I know one of the other, you know, things that I, I was a major learning, you know, um, uh, for me, a major time of learning was when uh, they were trying to pass bills related to the, um, the, the lawsuits that were occurring with the oil industry and, and you know, about mitigating the canals that were dredged and, and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, when I went to meetings on that, they showed a map much like the one that you showed previously that shows an enormous amount of land loss by year. And at that point, they were labeling it as 2050. And that's why I want to check on that. Um, how, how much, because at that point, it looked like right below me in Jefferson Parish was gone. I mean, there was a, a lot of land loss by year 2050. And it really struck this chord of of nervousness in me and on a lot of us that looked at those maps. Um, how does that reconcile? Because it is a little bit different than what I see from your maps. And you know, what kind of insights are there on that? Uh, specific to land loss, or are you are you are you tying them back the oil and gas lawsuits? Or well, it was only because they showed us maps that showed you know a lot of land loss, and there was more land loss into Jefferson Parish that I recall. Well, so look, if you look at the coastal master plan, the master plan explicitly states that a contributing factor of land loss is actually oil and gas exploration. When those, when those canals were dredged and dug, it allowed for saltwater to intrude into our coastal marshes. And that saltwater gets in those, the freshwater marsh, it causes the vegetation to die. Um, I, I am not involved in the litigation, I'm not involved in the lawsuit, so I don't know what what the attorneys have. Um, maybe some of the legislators have on the, the the amount of land that was specifically caused uh, to degrade or erode as a result of those canals or a result of that exploration. However, it is a contributing factor of land loss. But however, I will go back to my initial statement that the the primary driver of land loss in this state, particularly in your area, Julie was the levying of the Mississippi River. Um, th- that, is, that is the driving force of land loss. And so while, while we work well with the oil and gas industry in a collaborative way, they are, it is a contributing factor of land loss, without a doubt. Um, one other question um, was about the BP money that, that's mm-hmm. come in. And I know that we fund a lot, 80%, you said, based on the offshore oil lease money coming from the federal government. Um, and I know that we get a big infusion of cash from BP. When you talk about going back to that initial, that $50 million plan or billion dollar plan, if only it was 50 million, right? <laughs> when you go back to that initial plan and, you know, it being conceptual and now, you know, we're looking at a cost of 200 billion to really do everything we need to do. Um, how much of that was supplied during the BP oil spill, not during it, but by, um, you know, that settlement. Well, so the $20 billion figure that I, that I, that I talked about, um, the, the overwhelming majority of that figure uh, is, is mostly attributed to the hurricane risk reduction system around the greater New Orleans area. Uh, that is influx of cash from the federal government. State of Louisiana has $1.1 billion cost share on that. Uh, the, the other massive piece that you talked about, you talked about Go Mesa, you talked about oil and gas revenue, but the other huge funding portion is comes from the BP oil spill. Uh, so you're talking about a little over $8 billion that's going to be coming to the state of Louisiana 
over the next 15 years. And so that funding stream dries up in 2032. The settlement was signed in 2015. The first check was cut in 2017, I believe. And so that funding stream is, is gonna be drying up in 2032. And so that's why you see some of these largest, the largest, biggest bang for the buck projects being implemented now, because we have to get this right. And one of the things that we're always gonna do is rely on the best available science, what the science is telling us to do, and then how that overlays with public input, public opinion, and local priorities. Um, so I, I would say, Julie, that be, as a result of the BP oil spill funding, that is why you see some of these sediment diversions, some of these large-scale barrier island projects, some of these large-scale marsh creation projects to the tune of hundreds of millions of dollars is a result of the BP oil spill settlement. Yeah, one of the, the things, and, and then I'll kind of wrap up, but um, we, my family, we were in Ireland actually a few years back at the Cliffs of Moher. And at the Cliffs of Moher, they had an interactive display of the effects of global warming and sea level rise upon all of the areas on the planet, basically. So you push a button to see what it would look like in 10 years, what it would look like in 20 years, what it would look like in 50 years. And ironically, or maybe because it's science, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. um, when you push that button for 50 years, just to let our audience know, in Ireland, when you push that button at 50 years, it showed exactly what your maps show now. Mm -hmm. So um, this isn't rhetoric, this is very serious. And when I told um, my, my kids what, what I was doing today, you know, what are, what are you doing with your day, mom? And <laughs> I told them what we were talking about. One of them is, is they're both, you know, students, obviously, but one of them's already um, at college. And he said, well, from everything I understand, it's already too late. And, you know, before we wrap up, you know, I mean, there's a lot of complex in scientific data, and that's what we're about at Elevate. You know, it's just the science of it. We don't need rhetoric. We just need facts. Um, between global warming, between sea level rise, between our land sinking and our coast eroding, are we too late? Can we catch it? Excellent question. So look, the fact is, if you're, you're all about facts, here's, here's the fact. We're never going to have the coast we had in the 1930s. We're never going to have the coast we had probably in the 1950s, 1960s. However, if you look at the coast we, we can have that's included in the Coastal Master Plan, that is a coast that preserves cultural heritage. It is a coast that preserves the working coast, the way of life that we have here. It is, it is a coast that protects the overwhelming majority of citizens across South Louisiana. And it is a coast that I think is being rebuilt, not to, to where it once was, but it, it's being rebuilt to continue um, the way of life that we have here in South Louisiana. And so there, this is always, this is gonna be a continuing issue, Julie. It's not like we're gonna get to 2050 or 50 years from now and just say, okay, we're done, we're gonna go home. This, this is an issue that we're gonna have to go, that's gonna go into perpetuity. I mean, we're always going to be doing this, but we can, while we can't have the coast we once had, we can have a coast to allow us to continue to succeed as the greatest state in the union. That is a perfect answer. I, I appreciate that and, um, and look forward to um, our Q&A in a few moments um, for those that are with us live right now. But for our guests that are listening by videocast and by podcast, that's about all the time we have for today. Um, I'd like to thank our guest, Chip Klein. Thank you so much for coming on our show today and discussing these very important issues with us. 
Thank you, Julie. You bet. Um, over the coming weeks, Elevate Louisiana will host additional roundtable discussions with some of our state legislators. The first roundtable will be held next week on March 3rd with Senator Brett Alain on his tax reform proposals that he is authoring and his overall take on the 2021 legislative session. Uh, other roundtables will also be announced as details are available. Finally, we will host our Legislative Leadership Conference on March 24th with Senate President Paige Cortez, Speaker of the House Clay Schecksneider, and Governor John Bell Edwards to update us on what they anticipate happening in the upcoming session. Um, later today, you will receive an email beginning the registration for that event. And finally, um, we will be hosting a day at the legislature on April 27th, where we will meet with legislators, attend committee meetings, and get an up-close look at working at the Louisiana State Capitol. Um, so finally, don't forget to like Elevate Louisiana on all of your social media platforms and share this video cast on your page if you found it interesting. I'm your host, Julie Stokes, and we'll see you next time. Mm -hmm.